excellent thy name. How excellent is thy name in all the earth. Who has set thy glory above the heavens? We'll praise thy holy name forever, evermore. Mother's Day, a time to celebrate all the wonderful mothers out there, not just for being shining examples of how great a mom can be, but also for being beautiful reflections of who God is. Like God, you've provided for us. You've shown us how much you care from the very beginning. With God, you've guided us helping us navigate through every decision, big or small. You've been patient with us, helping us grow and learn from the mistakes we make. And like God, you forgive us, offering us grace so those mistakes can never define us. You've been present. It sounds so simple but it's so important just knowing you're there when we need you. And most of all, you've loved us unconditionally as only someone filled with God's love could. So today we thank you, moms, for all of this and so much more. Happy Mother's Day. For all that you've done, I will thank you For all that you're going to do For all that you've promised and all that you are Is all that has carried me through Jesus, I thank you And I thank you, thank you, Lord and I thank you, thank you, Lord. Thank you for loving and setting me free. Thank you for giving justice for me. Now I thank you. Good morning. Happy Mother's Day. 
I'm Phil Jackson, one of the elders here at Preston Crest, and we are so glad to see each and every one of you here to join us for worship this morning. We do ask that everyone please check in. Uh, the, the number here is on the screen, 469-476-5331. There's also information in the bulletin uh, on how to check in for members and visitors, as well as the cards on the back of the pew. So there's no reason for you not to check in. Please check in. We want to celebrate a, uh, a few events um, from, this, uh, from the past week. Uh, we want to appreciate everyone who participated in the Preston Crest campout. Uh, we had about 150 people there at the camp out. I was very happy to be there myself on the nice weather and even enjoyed uh, witnessing a, a, a baptism uh, over the weekend. It was a great event. And then we also want to uh, thank everyone who was involved in the LTC celebration last Sunday night. Um, it was uh, excellent. And so thanks for all the, all the kids, the youth, the children, all the teachers and sponsors uh, who did that event, Leadership for Christ. What a great event uh, for everyone. And then, of course, uh, tonight uh, um, we'll start our, uh, a new series, the, the Church's DNA, uh, Study the Book of Ephesians. It'll be a great series, and we hope to see you there. We do have a special need, especially for the summer. Uh, we have a need for greeters, and so if you uh, uh, feel called to do that, uh, there's information at the top of the second page in the bulletin on how you can sign up uh, to be greeters, and so we would appreciate your help in that. As we continue our worship this morning, here are the words of the Lord from Isaiah 66, 13. As a mother comforts her child, so will I comfort you and you will be comforted over Jerusalem. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you, thank you, thank you. You have blessed us in so many ways. We gather here this morning to praise you, not only for all the blessings you have given us, but just for who you are, our creator, our salvation, and the source of all good things. On this day in particular, we thank you for mothers. May you bless them, for they are our first caregivers, the first people you use to bless us in new life. For so many of us, our mothers were our first and most important teachers of your word. I also pray for those, Lord, who for whatever reason struggle on this day, and may your comfort and peace be with them. So, Lord, accept our worship this morning. We join together to your glory. It's in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Yeah. Thanks, Phil. You give life. You are love. You bring life to the darkness. You give hope. You restore every Thank you. 
We're going to sing one more song as we enter into this time of communion. And then Jonathan Witt will come and lead us this morning around the bread and around the cup. One Morning. They gave me a microphone, so I get to say Happy Mother's Day to everybody. So that counts. I've said it to everyone. All right. Uh, so this week I thought about what I should talk about as, um, that's mine, by the way. Um, yeah, Happy Mother's Day. Uh, sweetheart. <laughs> this is your fault. John Scott said, hey, it's Mother's Day. And I said, okay, I'll do it because you can't say no to John Scott. But uh, there was a part of me that thought this is going to happen. Anyways, um, this week I thought about what I should uh, talk about um, after my son uh, lost it. And uh, I thought a lot about the prayers that we say in our house. And so we've got a six-year-old uh, and then a what seems like two forever-year-old. Uh, and sometimes prayers are very short at our house. That's okay. Sometimes they're a little bit longer, and that's okay too. There is a, a, a heartfeltness in all the prayers, though. And there's a good word to describe them, simple. I think simple is a good, a good way to describe a lot of the prayers that happen in our house. And so I thought... I'll keep it simple this week. There's a song that we've been listening to on repeat as you listen to songs when you have small kids. Um, and I'm going to use some of the, the themes from that song. But we're just going to say thank you. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, thank you for a new day. Thank you for our families. Thank you for mothers who love us and show us your love by loving us nonstop. Thank you for our church family. Thank you for our blessings, but also our challenges and our trials. Thank you for giving your son, which we think about now, which we focus on now, that sacrifice that you made, that he made. And as we drink this, or eat this bread and then drink the cup, we think about that and how his sacrifice was on our behalf so that we can have hope. Thank you. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. God, thank you for knowing what we need. Thank you for caring for us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for being good to us. Thank you, God. Amen.
Thank you, Jonathan. Sometimes simple is the best way. Thank you. A couple of ways you can give this morning. You can uh, drop an offering if you've brought that. You can drop that in the box in the middle of the foyer, or you can give online as always. The giving online opens the gateway to multiple um, opportunities for giving. We're going to celebrate some world care opportunities later on this month. Uh, any opportunities that you have to give to is a good thing in this place because it takes Jesus outside of these walls. What is given here expands the Lord's kingdom in so many places. So thank you for giving. One of the great things, and you're going to watch a video about this in just a moment, is the prison ministry. And Clay Short leads a team of men about once a quarter down to Huntsville to share the good news of Jesus in a state penitentiary of all things. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you. You have blessed us. You have given. You have sacrificed. And I know you've been frustrated with us. So thank you. Thank you for being our God, our Father. Our peace, our rest, our counselor, our comforter. Thank you. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Let's watch. Good morning, Preston Crest family. My name is Clay Short, and every quarter, I lead a group of men down to Huntsville, Texas, to be a part of the Huntsville Prison Ministry. This ministry was once started by Clyde Thompson, who was once called the meanest man in Texas, but now today is led by Freddie Anderson, who is a dedicated leader of the Lord and a very good friend to this congregation. When we go to the WIND unit and go through those gates, it can be a very intimidating experience. But once we are with our brothers in Christ and we worship with them and particularly have the Lord's Supper, we realize that walls cannot separate the things that we have in common in Christ. So Preston Crest, we really appreciate the support that you have given us in this Huntsville prison ministry and we look forward to doing this for many years to come. Yeah, Clay was with us at first service. If anybody is here interested in getting connected with that ministry, you can reach out to Clay or you can just call the church office and we will direct you to, uh, to his court and uh, let you get connected with that. Let's stand. We're going to send kids on up to Children's Church and we'll sing one more song and then Gordon's going to come share with us this morning. Come we love the Lord and
Sounds great today. Happy Mother's Day, especially to you, Mom, watching online from Missouri. I got to go up a couple of days this week, Phil, and I got to teach her how you can cast YouTube from your phone to the TV. So I'm still waiting to hear back from her today if she's been able to make that happen. Uh, but showed her the button you push, and she's like, oh, wow, you know, uh, instead of watching on her, on her little iPad or whatever. And it is a day that, uh, it's a little tricky for me as a preacher because we, we know, as Phil mentioned earlier, it's, it's complicated, um, but we do all want to honor our moms, whether they're here or they've gone to the Lord or, I mean, we just want to honor your, our moms today and we all have a mom. Um, I wonder if you've heard a version of this. I suspect a lot of you have a version of the in a worship service like this, in a place like this, a version of the, and now we leave our worries and cares outside so that we can focus on the Lord. Some version of that. Uh, and now we leave the distractions of our daily lives outside and we enter the Some version of that. I'll tell you, um, the person we're going to talk about today, Hannah, uh, she did not embrace that. I'm not saying there's no merit to that idea of I really want to focus on God and I just want to think about myself. Yes. But Hannah very much brought everything into the presence of God. She was real, a hundred percent. Everything that she struggled with, everything that troubled her, every joy, every sorrow, she brought it all when she entered the house of the Lord, she, Hannah, did not push her concerns out when she came into the presence of God. Um, she brought her whole self before the throne of God. And maybe there is something, I think there is, that we need to learn from her there. Um, if we take her example seriously, there's freedom. There's freedom to not pull up with a bunch of pretensions and, and, and a facade and a benign smile that everything is okay. There's freedom to say, I can be who I am even if it's not really all that pretty or happy at this point in life. And so we bring sadness 
and we bring celebration sometimes. We bring our sin, we bring our struggle, we bring it all into the presence of God without shame, without apology. Jesus once said something, you'll probably recall this, about God desiring worshipers who worship him in spirit and in, yeah, truth. The truth. The whole truth. The ugly truth. The beautiful truth. Bring it all. Bring what's true before the Lord. And maybe being a true worshiper involves that, uh, bringing everything and trusting that God can handle it, that he won't be shocked and that he won't push you away. Jesus says the Father is looking for true worshipers. Um, There is an uncomfortable truth this morning. We're talking about Hannah and we're talking about her on Mother's Day. And much of her story was defined by an unfulfilled desire to be a mom. It was a journey of infertility. She wanted more than anything to be a mother and to have not just a baby, but to have a baby boy. In fact, she believed that it was God's will for her, even though through years of trying, nothing. No missed periods. None of that nausea in the morning. Certainly none of that kicking in her womb. She experienced none of that and wanted it so badly. If you're a woman, you may or you may not identify with that. Isla and I have plenty of friends. In fact, some of our closest couple friends have decided, have chosen, we're not going to have children And so they use that as a way to serve more, to be on ministry and mission. Other friends of ours are childless, but not by choice. And it's very, very hard. Infertility, painful and personal. Something that only you fully understand, you who are going through it. And for Hannah, there were a couple of details about her infertility that made it especially difficult. One was the time and place in which she lived, the time and place where womanhood and motherhood were synonymous, where it was expected that you as a woman would be expecting at some point. And so she and her husband Elkanah had tried and tried and nothing. The other thing, and this is more difficult even for her, is her, hu- her husband had another wife. I don't think any one of us can identify with that. I hope not today. But there were two of them. There was Hannah, barren, and there was Penina, who sounds like the name of a waitress at a cafe. I don't know. Penina. And Penina had no trouble conceiving. That would be bad enough if you're Hannah. Even worse is that, ha- that, that Penina was a mean girl. She was a 7th grade cyberbully mean girl. She was really mean. She knew what buttons to push and she constantly pushed them. The Word of God tells us in 1 Samuel 1 verse 6 that her rival, this is Penina, her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her. 
there's a place of pain there. I'm just going to stick my finger in there and remind Hannah, I haven't had trouble conceiving. Elkanah, your husband has children through me. One theologian offered the following take on this. Haters gonna hate, 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 hate. You like that? Panada was a hater, man. One thing uh, about this that was so challenging was she's on this journey. Her husband can't really identify with it. And I'll say this, her husband loved her. We can say that Elkanah loved Hannah very much. But like a lot of us husbands, didn't know the right words to say. Didn't know the right things to do. Like one of his answers is, my wife is struggling with barrenness. I'll give her double portions of food at the dinner table. Do you think that helped? Extra scoop of hummus, extra lamb chop. Now it's all good. No. And then the things that he said, bless him, he was trying. He said, verse 8 of chapter 1, Hannah, my dear, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? Parents have um, at Preston Crest gotten on to me before for using the word stupid from the pulpit. This is stupid. <laughs> I'm sorry. I mean, that's a series of really stupid things. He's trying. But I mean, come on, man. Why do you weep? Why do you think I weep? Why am I not chowing down on the extra scoop of hummus? Why, do you, why are you even asking me that? And, and do you matter more to me than ten sons? Come on. Just, I just think Hannah was thinking, can you stop talking? <laughs> can you just... Just be quiet. And I think about this part of the story, and I do think about myself. I identify with this guy, Elkanah. I mean, I, I have said things like that. I probably will say more things like that. You see pain, you see struggle, and out comes the wrong thing. And I think there is a lesson here about when you're in a, a place where someone is struggling, don't run away from that place. Don't get away. Some of us just try to get away from pain. Oh, that person's struggling. I'm going to go over here. No, no, no. You need to be there with that person you love. But you need to be very careful about what you say. Less is more oftentimes in a situation like that. Um, so he loved her. He did not have a clue what to say. When someone loses someone... When you're visiting someone in the hospital, when your friend is going through a very difficult time, breakup, a job loss, you name it. Sometimes you just need to be there, to be present, and to not try to say the right words. During her journey, Long journey, difficult journey. At one point, there was a family road trip from Ramah, their city, to Shiloh. And they went there as a family to worship 
the Lord. And this becomes sort of a turning point in Hannah's story. Um, There was a family meal. Hannah was sort of fasting, you know, to kind of bring her petition before the Lord. And she slips away. She goes to the house of the Lord, passes by the priest Eli, and she just wants to spend some time with the father. 1 Samuel 1.10, she was deeply distressed. She brings it all. She is herself in the house of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. Have you prayed like this before? Weeping bitterly before the Lord. So it comes from her prayer. It comes from a place of, de- of pain, of emotion, of want, of desire. It doesn't even involve audible words. There were words to her prayer. We have those written down for us, but she wasn't actually vocalizing them. Couldn't get it out between the sobs. She was asking God for what she always asked God for, not just a child, a boy, a baby boy. And she pledged, if you will answer this prayer, I will give this child back to you. His life will be devoted to the service of Yahweh. And Eli, the priest who is very near has seen her come in, and she looks a hot mess here. She's crying. She's weeping. Her lips are moving. He can't hear words. He assumes that she is drunk, and he confronts her. I mean, how dare she come into the house of the Lord in such a state? And Hannah speaks to him. Verses 15 and 16. No, no, no. No, sir. I haven't been drinking wine or anything stronger, but I am very discouraged. I was pouring my heart out to the Lord. Don't think that I am a wicked woman, for I have been praying out of great anguish and sorrow. And Eli says to her, go in peace. Go in the shalom of God. Your prayer has been heard. And you will have, she tells, he tells Hannah, you will have what you have asked of him. What's remarkable here is she's not pregnant at this point. There's no physical manifestation of an answer to this prayer. But she believes. She has such faith that we're told in the scripture her countenance changes. From sorrow to kind of a buoyancy to an expectation of joy, she begins eating again. Her story has changed in this moment. And I think she has something to teach us that worship is life calibration. That we come into the presence of God, not just in a a house like this together, but oftentimes alone, often in private worship. But whenever we come into worship, worship is life calibration. When we worship the Lord, we bring all the other voices, worries, and concerns under His dominion, under His reign. We declare over whatever it is going on in our lives, God is still God. He is still good. He is still gracious. You know, I was reading in our 
our Preston Crest Bible readings this last week and I highlighted it. A verse I had never noticed before from Jeremiah. That God gave his people grace in the wilderness. Grace in the wilderness. Jeremiah 31 verse 2. I like that. And I think Hannah had grace in her wilderness. We don't stop worshiping just because we're in a a tight spot. Don't let what's wrong with you keep you from worshiping what's right with God. We worship no matter what. We worship in tears. We worship in anguish. We worship in joy. We worship in peace. We worship, that's who we are. We are worshipers in spirit and in truth, right? I heard someone once say, uh, hey, I didn't enjoy worship today. The person next to him said, good thing we weren't worshiping you. (laughs) It's not about me. Yeah, I bring my stuff. I bring my concerns. I bring my cares. But worship is always about God. If it stops being about God and starts being about me, then it is no longer worship. It's, It's idolatry. Right? And so we watch her worship and pray. We watch her in the house of the Lord. We notice intimacy in her relationship with God. These are not guide, guard, and direct prayers, all right? This is mm, raw, unfiltered emotion and passion before the Lord. Full range of humanity being brought into the house of the Lord. She is okay being a mess in the presence of the Father. She doesn't feel a need to act like everything is okay when everything is not okay. And check this out, so specific. I mean, I was surprised as I read this story again that someone with this journey, with this agony, with this singular desire to be a mother didn't just ask for a child, ask for a baby boy. Specific, faithful, knowing there's a purpose to this. And so she believes that the one she worships has answered her prayers and she trusts in that. She is so sensitive to God that her pain turns her toward the face of God, not away from God. And this is going to go quick. We're just going to tell you what happens next. You probably guessed it. They go back to Ramah. She sleeps with her husband Elkanah. She conceives. And yes, she gives birth to a healthy baby boy. And she names him Asked of God. That's his name, Samuel in Hebrew. Asked of God. What a remarkable person of faith she is. Um, she'll actually, by the way, it, this is, I think this is important when you take on a story like this. It's like, wow, Gordon, not every story is happily ever after like this. I would say this isn't even happily ever after like that. I mean, the Bible presents real stories that have some happy, that have some sad. And even in this joy, even in this answered prayer, there's the fact that she's not going to raise her son. 
She's going to hand him off to Eli, to a life devoted to God. And guys, if you read the next couple of chapters, we're not going to do that today, you'll, you'll find out quickly the home that she gave Samuel over to, it wasn't that great of a home. Eli wasn't that great of a dad. But her son will be incredibly special. Spiritual leader, prophet, a priest, the de facto king before he anoints Saul and then David. Her son will be incredibly important as a spiritual leader for Israel for two generations. Now her prayer is, is so exemplary. I mean, we, we not only have this prayer of desperation and tears, this wordless prayer in 1 Samuel 1, we have another prayer, an extensive prayer in 1 Samuel chapter 2. I love that God has seen fit to record all of her words in, in that prayer in chapter 2. And an interesting thing we notice right off the bat, this prayer in chapter 2, this prayer on the other side of the answered prayer, of the birth of her child, it doesn't involve a single request. She doesn't ask God for anything. And so often, and by the way, it's okay to ask God for things, but we got to keep it in balance. There needs to be thanksgiving. There needs to be praise and worship and not just, hey God, I need this, I need that. We need to be big on devotion and not just demands. We need to be very interested in reverence and less maybe sometimes on requests. And that's what we have in 1 Samuel chapter... By the way, years ago a friend of mine was teaching a class in Brazil on prayer and he talked to our church about... He, he said, here's a challenge... 40 days. Don't ask God for anything. And everybody's like, whoa, what are you talking about? We're supposed to, yeah, yeah. He said, no, no, just go with me. He said, you'll be more grateful on the other side of this. And so we did that. And it did change the way I prayed. I learned to pray more like Hannah. A lot of praise, a lot of worship, a lot of acknowledgement of who God is. Like she prays this, chapter 2, verse 2. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. Pray that with me if you would. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. God, you are the only one. There is no other God. There is no comp to you. You are the only God. And then I love this. The next bit in her prayer, she talks about how God takes the order of things. Broken, sinful, fallen, messed up. The order that we see playing out all around us. And God flips it. She says in verse 4, The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. God exalts the orphan and the widow and the infirmed. He exalts the one who is too young or too old. 
God flips the order of the world on its head. He breaks the bows of the mighty and he binds strength on those who are weak. She proclaims too this fact that God is in control. This is our Father's world. She prays in verse 7, He brings low and exalts. She's saying, my God calls the shots. And then she reminds us as believers, and this is for me today. I don't know if this is for you. Verse 9, she says, it's not by might that a man prevails. It's not our ingenuity. It's not our money. It's not our followers. It's not our celebrity. It's not our scheming. We know what the last half of that is. It's not by might. It's by God. That's how people prevail. And then there's a prophetic word. This is one of the surprises. How God speaks these prophetic, surprising words. She points to Jesus. Hannah points to Jesus. In verse 6, the Lord kills and the Lord brings to life. She has no reference point for this except that God put this on her tongue. The Lord kills and the Lord brings to life. He brings down to Sheol. This is the place of the dead. He brings down to Sheol and he raises up. She's talking about Jesus. Now, there are a couple of prevailing themes in this prayer of hers in chapter 2. One is that God is sovereign. God is in control. He is the one who calls the shots. And then there's this other that's related to that, is that people can count on him no matter what. Every season of life. The celebration and the sorrow, he's still God. I love this all-weather faith. This is not a fair-weather faith that Hannah has. In her winter time of despair, she, 1 Samuel chapter 1, she worships and she prays. She goes to the house of the Lord in the winter time of her despair. In the springtime of new life, her baby in her hands. 1 Samuel chapter 2, what does she do there? She worships and she prays. She takes herself into the presence of the Lord. It is an all-weather faith. So if you're in a doubt or a season of doubt, a season of struggle... If you're in the wilderness, God gives his people grace in the wilderness. I would invite you, like Hannah, to bring it all before the Lord. All the emotions. Whether it's joy and celebration, whether it's sorrow and heartbreak. Your father cares. He knows what's going on. And he invites all the Hannahs all of us, to bring it before him and open our hearts before him. And I'm not going to pretend to know what it's like to walk in anybody's shoes today. I'm not going to pretend to understand your experience. I'm certainly not going to pull an Elkanah 
and try to come up with magical words to make it all better because they might make it worse. But I can assure you from Hannah's story, God cares. He's close. And you are precious to him. This morning, if you need prayers, we would love to pray over you, pray for you. Get together with someone nearby. Come and pray with me or Phil this morning. Maybe it's time to give your life to Jesus, to this one who, who Hannah points forward to. The Savior, the redemption of Israel. He is our hope. You can confess his name and give your life to Christ today. But like Hannah right now, let's stand together. Let's worship the Lord. I come, I confess, bowing here I find my rest, and without you I fall apart.
be a Christian. Normally, our take-home verse, we all read it together this morning. Let me give this blessing to you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. And the congregation says, Amen. Amen. Go in the peace and love of God.